welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we have pediatrician Dr. Dina Blanchard with us. Dr. Dina is a mother and renowned pediatrician passionate about colic, breastfeeding, and child development. She received the Alpha Omega Alpha and American Medical Women's Association Glasgow Rubin Achievement Awards. We are very honored to have her on our show with us. Today, Dr. Dina will be chatting with us about colic. Some of us have experienced it with our babies and some of us haven't. It can be a real challenge for parents. So whether you're in the thick of it with your baby, know a friend dealing with this issue, or maybe you're expecting and want to prepare yourself in case your little one has colic, this episode is for you. Let's welcome Dr. Dina to learn more. Hi, Dr. Dina. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, Chick Chat. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. We're really interested in diving into this topic. But before we do, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you and your experience. Can you tell us about you, your background, and how you came to specialize in pediatrics? Sure. So I'm a pediatrician. I'm also a mom of three boys. Oh, busy. (laughs) Yes, definitely one busy person. Uh, (laughs) I have been working in pediatrics for the last 14 years since I graduated my residency from Columbia Presbyterian at the Morgan Stanley Children's Hospital. How did I choose pediatrics? During medical school, you go through what are called rotations, and you kind of get this opportunity to try out different things. And I actually went to med school and thought I was going to do maybe psychiatry or neurology, but I loved pediatrics. And I just was so excited to be around working with children, and I liked the camaraderie with pediatricians. And then during residency, I was very lucky to, we had a resident clinic, and one of the things that I had was really strong continuity. So every Thursday, I would go to clinic and I would see my patients, and I found myself always looking forward to Thursdays. I realized I wanted to be an outpatient pediatrician, which is what I am. It's what I love. I love relationships with the families. And what happens is you also develop these amazing relationships with the kids as you watch them grow and they go from being these kind of tiny little humans who do nothing into people who grow (laughs) up and do really interesting things and have all these amazing ideas. And it's honestly, it's really an honor to be a part of that journey with parents. That is so cool. And I love that. It it was just a calling. You just realized, oh, this is it. This is for me. And that's so awesome. Yeah. It makes me happy. And I'm glad because it's what I do. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Dr. Dina, I know one of your areas of expertise is colic. Can you please tell us more about your experience and background when it comes to colic? Yeah. So part of the reason that I really got interested in this topic is that, so of my three boys, two had colic. Oh, mama. (laughs) One was really difficult. I would tell you for the first three months of his life, he was either eating, sleeping, or crying. It was really hard. And so a lot of what I think about being a pediatrician and being a mom, which I have been, I've never been a pediatrician without being a mom, is how you partner with parents going through what are typical time periods. And when you think about colic, it's really almost 
an exaggerated response of the normal gassy, fussy time period that happens around three to six weeks. And so the way I think about it is that I'm thinking about helping parents navigate that time period no matter what, anticipating that time period coming up no matter what. And then when you're dealing with a child that is on the more fussy side of the spectrum, thinking about, okay, what are things I can do? But for me, even more so thinking about how can I use my own mindset as a parent and how can I reframe my language and the way that I'm thinking about things to understand this time period. And yes, it's hard. It's a hard time period baseline. And then if your kid cries more, it's even harder. But to reframe it as not a failing as a parent or something that's necessarily going to last forever or indicative of some larger global problem is really the way that I kind of try to approach it. Yeah. I think every parent who stumbles upon their child potentially having colic, knowing that it's not forever, gives them that glimmer of hope that, you know, they can get through this. And you having gone through it twice, you can speak to that. Oh my goodness. And colic, I think for a lot of parents is such a scary word, but many may not know exactly like what it is. Can you describe exactly what is colic and how would you define that to a new parent? So what I would start by saying is that I'm not sure it needs a definition. And that when we think of it like that, it almost pathologizes it in a sense that it may not be the most helpful way to think about it. But that said, I will give some definitions. But what I want to explain is that somewhere around three weeks, babies sort of wake up with a bang and they're gassy, they're fussy, they're rashy. And unfortunately, it gets worse before it gets better. So it peaks around six weeks. It gets a little better at eight weeks, a little better at 10. And by 12 weeks, it's really getting a lot better in a child who's going through normal gassy, fussy. And so there is this range. If you want to look at exact definitions, what is typically thought of is something called Wessel's criteria, which is the rule of threes. So that's crying more than three hours a day, greater than three times a week in an infant younger than three months who's healthy for no apparent reason. And so the number one message I would start with is before you decide your child has colic or is fussy, you want to speak with your pediatrician, rule out any medical things that can be addressed, such as a milk protein intolerance or reflux and various other things. And then once you've been reassured that your child is healthy, growing, developing, that's when we can say to ourselves, sure, we can call it colic or we can call it more extreme fussiness. Now what? Right. Yes. Because when people realize, oh, it could be, you know, not just colic, but reflux or silent reflux or all these other things, they're like, oh, yeah, I need to talk to my pediatrician to really figure out what this is. And Dr. Dina, like, can you explain to us what causes colic? Are there any causes? It just happens to babies. And can it be prevented? I wish I could explain it because then I could probably (laughs) become a multimillionaire. A billionaire. (laughs) You know, it's like me figuring out a way to treat colds. No one knows exactly is really the truth. But there are some theories. 
One theory is that it's related to kind of the baby's immature nervous system. So you'll probably notice if you have a baby that they hiccup a lot. When they get startled, their whole body gets startled. And so that's due to nerves being immature and taking time to mature. And so some of the thought is that the nerves that go into your intestines are immature and that's part of it and it just needs time. There's some thought that you have good bacteria in your gut and it takes time for that to develop. And so that imbalance can lead to increased gassiness and fussiness. And then some of it is sometimes it's not quite that colic is caused due to feeding. It's more that if the baby is swallowing more air, that kind of stuff can get fussy. And there are feeding techniques you can use. As terms of preventing it, it's normal development in the same way that four to six month olds are just delightful and rainbows, lollipops and sunshine and cute and expressive. This is a hard age. They fuss. So it's not that you can prevent it necessarily in that way, but there are things you can do if you start to notice your baby is on the more fussy side. So what are these things, Dr. Dina? We must know. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I will say, I think what I was saying before about reframing is very important because what I would start with is understanding that babies are predictably unpredictable. So as maybe a type A-ish kind of person, there's this desire to fit your baby into a spreadsheet, right? And babies don't do that. So you can literally do the exact same thing two days in a row. One night you get four hours sleep, the next night you're up every half an hour. So there's that. The second most important thing is for parents to understand you are not the cause of colic. If your baby is more fussy, if your baby is crying, it's not due to bad parenting. It's not something you're doing. It's not due to a poor connection. It's due to a normal physiologic stage that's likely being exaggerated in children with more fussiness or let's say colic for the sake of that. That is so comforting. I have to just interrupt you on that because I think a lot of people think that, oh, I must have done something or eaten something or whatever during pregnancy to cause my baby to be like this. So you saying those words, I think, provide a lot of comfort. I think naturally, certainly myself and what I've seen with patients is that parents tend to look to themselves as a cause when things aren't going exactly as imagined. And very rarely is that the case. And I think, you know, starting with that approach is number one, the most helpful way to reframe and best for the baby also and the whole family. So a couple of things. One is like we were talking about with feeding, you can get a lot of swallowed air and then it's hard to get a burp. Babies are gassy. They cry more. They're swallowing more air. So If you're breastfeeding, obviously the baby's on the breast, but if you are choosing to bottle feed during periods using anti-colic bottles, such as the Nook Smooth Flow Pro anti-colic bottle is very good because what it does is basically they have an advanced venting system and that allows the air to get drawn to the bottom instead of into the milk. So baby swallows less air. It's more comfortable feeding. So that's one option. Another, when we were talking about gut bacteria, is to start a probiotic. That is in some studies, has been proven to be helpful for infants who are crying more frequently. And then really just to allow yourself space when 
a baby cries a lot to try to find ways. I know it's easier said than done, but maybe for someone to help you or to get a break and to understand that it's okay to need a break. And then some of it is overstimulation in general. When babies start to have more awake periods, they can't stay awake very long. So if there's a lot going on, they can get overstimulated, overtired, they cry, again, swallow more air. So really kind of looking at your baby's tired cues, understanding it takes time to get to know this new person who came into your life. And, you know, sometimes saying, oh, maybe my baby's crying because they're tired, you know, and trying to really help regulate the sleep as best as you possibly can, which at this age will require your help. Because infants this age are not developmentally able to self-soothe, and so they need your help to soothe. So some things you can try for soothing in the moment are sucking, like on a pacifier, gloved hand, swaddling, shushing, bouncing, some white noise at a low level, going out for a walk, movement. Those are all different strategies that you have kind of The way I like to think about it is in your toolbox because it's not a playbook. Nothing's going to work 100% of the time. And what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. So saying, okay, this isn't working. Let me try something else is better than sticking with one thing that had been working for you the day before. Ah, these are such great tips, Dr. Dina. And I, I really also appreciate you saying that in your toolbox, because I think parents are like, this worked last time. Why isn't it working this time? (laughs) And normalizing that that happens. That's okay. And let's try something else and see what else can work. So that is so wonderful. Can you share with us what percentage of babies have colic and why do some babies have it while others don't? So we don't know why some babies have it and others don't. And they're kind of initially were very, when they looked at studies, like there was somewhere between eight and 40%. As they narrowed it down a little bit more and sort of looked by age group, it about 17 to 25% of babies will meet the definition for colic at six weeks, keeping in mind that that decreases over time. And by 12 weeks, that number is very low. So what I will tell parents is if you have a 12, 13-week-old who's just as fussy, we need to talk because that should be getting better over time. You should. The way to think about it is it gets harder and then slowly better and better starting around eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And by 13 weeks, you really expect these symptoms to mostly have been gone in almost majority of children. So if that's not the case, you really want to be checking in with your pediatrician again. Oh, well, that's good to know, especially knowing it around that 13-week mark. Hey, if it's still not getting better, please check in with your pediatrician and also check in with your pediatrician when you're seeing those initial symptoms because it could be something else we really want to know. Is it colic or is it something else? So these are really helpful tips. And of course, you have to trust your gut as a parent. Right. Yes. And you want to make sure you have a pediatrician that listens to you, that respects it. And then on some level, as a parent, you're partnered in trusting your pediatrician. And so if you're struggling with that, sometimes it's time to find a new pediatrician or look at new ways to kind of talk about things or what else is going on. But understanding, I think, that your pediatrician's on your team, you guys are working together. And if 
you're getting continued reassurance, trying to be patient with yourself and patient with the situation is sometimes the answer. Yes. Giving ourselves more grace. Absolutely. Oh, man. And Dr. Dina, I've worked with several moms as a postpartum doula, and I will say this at least rings true for me. I'm curious for the hundreds of families that you've helped with. You know, often parents assume just because their baby is fussy that they have colic. How would you tell a parent after they have come to you and say, oh, I think my baby has colic. Like, how do you differentiate colic and common crying? How do you tell that parent? (laughs) Like, actually, this is what we look for or, yeah. What I talk about is exactly what I said before is there's a spectrum of fussiness and colicky babies are just on the high end of that. And then you've got, quote, I really don't like this word, easy babies, because I don't think babies are easy or hard. I think they're just babies. But you have babies who are on the lower end of that fussy spectrum. And then you kind of have most of the babies, which babies fuss. And sometimes babies cry to cry. And that's hard to accept as a parent. It's just really hard. And that's why the word colic it's challenging. I know for some people it gives them a sense of almost calmness once it's like, okay, well, my baby has colic. So now I can live with that. And that's okay because sometimes people need things labeled. But at the same time, because it's part of normal physiologic responses, I would urge people not to think of fussing and gassing as pathology and to think more about what we've been talking about, which is, this is my toolkit. And really saying to yourself, this is normal. This is a normal time period. It is normal that my baby is fussing. It is normal that they're a little more difficult to console. This is expected. This is something that happens. I've checked with my doctor. I know my baby's okay. Maybe I'm still worried. I check again. But saying to yourself, this is hard. It's okay that it's hard. I accept that. It will not last forever. It is not my fault. I am trying all the things I can try. Some will work sometimes. Some will work others is the best way I can think to approach it. In addition, then I love the idea of saying, you know, obviously with your pediatrician's recommendation, try a probiotic, try a different bottle because there's no downside to trying it. You know, that's something that I feel like is definitely worthwhile to try, but understanding that it may decrease some of the symptoms, but the likelihood of having a baby in this age group that doesn't fuss at all is pretty slim. You probably have this experience as a postpartum doula with breastfeeding. It's really hard to breastfeed. And a lot of times, you know, I say to parents, I'm like, everybody thinks that the baby comes out and it's like Madonna and child, and they just pop on the breast. And I'm like, the baby Jesus is a four month old in most of the paintings. And also that's like 1% of the population. I'm like, and frankly, I kind of have a hard time with those people because I struggled so much. I'm like, 99% of people are having a hard time. And that's what I would say about colic. 99% of babies are fussy. They're hard. You go through hard periods. You're exhausted. And you don't want to listen to your baby cry or fuss. It's hard. 
you know, two minutes is hard. And so kind of that reminder, like, you're not alone. You're not the only one going through this. When I think through my parenting stages, you know, I find that comforting. Oh, absolutely. So comforting and gives you a little bit of peace knowing like, okay, I'm not the only person who is going through this. Things will get better. There are resources out there for me that can help me give me answers. There's support out there. I just need to like go out and ask for it. I think giving ourselves permission to do that is so helpful. And these are just awesome tips, Dr. Dina. So thank you for that. I agree. And I think Having a fussy baby can make you feel very alone. Yes. I remember with my middle son feeling very alone and feeling like I'm a pediatrician. This kid I is so <laughs> fussy. What am I doing wrong? I really felt like I was failing, even though I intellectually knew I wasn't. And I think that's part of why I really felt like this was a topic I wanted to talk more on because I didn't want moms and dads to feel like they were alone. I didn't want people thinking, like there's something wrong with me. I, I'm not good at this. It became something for me that I'm passionate about because that time period was very lonely and I felt almost ashamed that my son was so fussy. And I think that a lot of parents feel that way. And certainly it's better because now he's like 12 and a half and people talk more than they used to. But I still think a lot of people feel like there's something wrong with them. And I think the beauty of getting that message out there is maybe the number one priority. Definitely. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And you mentioned a couple of times, like certain periods get better and then worse and all of that. So when are the periods it gets worse so that we can kind of maybe have that in mind? Or is that just all over the board and I shouldn't even You try? mean during the day? <laughs> during, like, on, during the day, so during honestly, the night, with colic, yeah. Early evening. A lot of babies have, you know, you may have heard it called the witching hour. Witching hour, yes. Yeah. So early evening and then four to six in the morning. Like people will tell me all the time and like, they'll be like, my baby's gassy. And I'll be like, I bet I could guess the times. And <laughs> <laughs> they're like, how'd you know? I'm like, mm. you know, but it's like, those I find are two very hard time periods. And so that's where overstimulation comes in not for the four to six, but the early evening, making sure that your child is getting rest in the later part of the day. If you have to go out, take a walk, walk around with them in the carrier for a little bit, something so that you're kind of almost, that's I think of as a way of maybe trying to be preemptive is like preempt that fussy period by letting your child sleep a little bit and see if that helps. That's one thing you can definitely try. And then 4 to 6 a.m., everyone's just exhausted, so it feels worse probably on some level, but that's definitely like a grunty period. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Even for just any baby, but like for colicky babies, I feel especially <laughs> it can yeah. be that when it gets worse. Oh, gosh. Thank you for that. Oh, man. Dr. Dina, you've given us so many cool tips and tricks and advice, and I feel like you've covered everything. I'm curious, like, do you have any final thoughts or advice for our listeners regarding colic? I think we talked really about everything, and I'm going to reiterate, it's really maybe my soapbox, and it's just really important to me. This is a hard time period. Three to eight to 10 weeks of parenting is definitely one of the more challenging times. If you have questions, if you are concerned, talk to your pediatrician. If you feel sad, if you feel anxious, if you feel yourself caught up in a never-ending cycle of, 
what, well, if I just this, and if I that, and what if this, and what if that, and what if what if, kind of anticipatory anxiety, talk to your pediatrician. You're seeing your pediatrician a lot. They care. They want what's best for you. They want what's best for your baby. And those things are intertwined in a way that is, if you don't think of it that way, it's a detriment. And so if I could give one message to parents, it would be, if you're struggling, reach out. You aren't alone. And you're not a bad parent. And this does get better. It really does. It won't feel like it in the moment. It'll feel horrible and it'll feel like it's going to be forever. But it's not, I can tell you, because I've been through it. Gosh. And that gives us so much comfort knowing that, hey, if Dr. Dean has gone through this twice and survived, (laughs) we can get through it too. Oh my gosh. Resilience or something, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Then the third one's the charm. Best behaved of the three. I hope my kids never listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Knock on wood. Oh my gosh. This was so helpful and informative, Dr. Dean. I thank you so much again for your time and for sharing your knowledge with all of us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an interesting conversation and I really appreciate it. Oh, yes. It's our honor. So thank you again. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Dr. Dina and her work, you can visit her on Twitter at Dr. Dina B. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comment section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to raising happy and healthy babies. <laughs>